Good morning, and welcome to the River of Life Sunday Morning Podcast. If you're local to Wakulla County, we'd love to see you and worship with you in person. Our service times are Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. God bless you, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Now, let me just say this. This will be for a season. This will be for a season. You say, how long? I don't know. We may be back in one service for six months or for a year or for 18 months. When the time comes, then what we'll do is we'll make adjustments. If we need to go back to two services for growth purposes, we will. But for a season, we're going to come back together and we're going to worship the Lord together. Yeah, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, I do want to give a, a shout out of, uh, of thanks and appreciation for our, our ushers, our greeters, our security team, our staff, and all of uh, our praise team uh, that you've seen on stage. They've been pulling double duty now uh, for about eight months, and not one time have they ever complained. And I praise the Lord for that. And so uh, so just uh, spread the word uh, Put it on every medium you have. Get it out there. 1030 Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning. We're going to be back together. I'm believing it's going to be one of the greatest services we've ever had. And so, uh, and what a way to celebrate Easter for us. This morning, our brother Derek Gray has a fantastic and amazing message that we all need to hear. So I'm going to pray and he's going to preach. Father, in Jesus name, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you are doing in our lives. Thank you for the stability that we have seen in this church over the last year. Uh, Through all kinds of chaos and confusion and trouble, uh, Lord, this church has been solid and stable. And we thank you for that level of maturity uh, that we've seen. And Lord, we just pray that you will even take us to higher ground. And now, Lord, we ask that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear the word of God as our brother Derek Gray preaches to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, River of Life. How many of you remember the last time you were really sick? For me, uh, some of you probably remember it because it was yesterday or last week, but for me, it was over a year ago. Um, February the 8th of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Now, the reason I remember it, that date, so, uh, so easily is for two reasons. Number one, it was my birthday. And the second reason was is we were uh, pouring a concrete slab that day for a pole barn uh, that we were building. And while we were out there working in the concrete, I uh, started to get a little bit of scratchy throat and and uh, a little bit of a cough, and uh, so I thought, well, you know, maybe it's just because I'm working around this concrete or whatever, but the next day was Sunday, and uh, I was actually preaching that day, so I came in and preached, but I wasn't feeling good, and as the day went on, I got progressively worse and worse, and by Monday morning, I woke up uh, with a fever, and Kathy uh, came home from work that day and, and to check on me, and she checked my temperature, and I don't remember what it was, but it was pretty high, and she said, well, you might have the flu, and she said, why don't we take you up to the doctor, get you checked out, and if you got the flu, they can give you Tamiflu or whatever they give you, and it can mitigate the symptoms, and I said, okay, well, I, we did that, so she packed me up, took me to the, up to the doctor's office, and I went in the, the room there, and the, the nurse came in and asked me what my symptoms were, and I told her, and she said, well, we need to test you for the flu, and she walked out. Now, 
I got to tell you, at that time I was 57. I'd never been tested for the flu. I had no idea how they, how they did that. As far as I was concerned, it was like a CSI thing. They just swabbed the inside of your cheek. And so I didn't think too much about it. So about five minutes later, she comes back in and she walks in with a tray and she goes over and sets it down and her back is to me and I hear her tear something. And I just assume it's the little swab they put in your cheek. And she turns around and she's got a Q-tip about the size of a lightsaber. I'm not sure how big that thing was. And uh, my first reaction is, what is she going to do with that? And she, she walked to me, and I'll never forget what she said. She walked over to me, and she stopped right in front of me. She said, now, honey, I'm not going to lie to you. This ain't going to be pleasant. And she was right. She jammed that thing up my nose, and it come out the top of my head, and it was, not, it was not pleasant at all. Now, you may say, well, that's a good story, but what's it got to do with today's sermon? Well, honey, I'm not going to lie to you. What I got to say today is not going to be pleasant. There are times in sermons where truth is encouraging and it's great and it tickles our ears and makes us, you know, this ain't one of them days. Sometimes truth can make you uncomfortable. Sometimes truth as believers doesn't tickle your ear, it stabs you in the heart. And as believers, we understand that. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, say a few things today and I, I'll promise two things. Number one, I'll tell you when the unpleasant part is coming. So you can prepare for it. And the second thing I'll promise you is if you'll stick with me to the end, that it'll all be uh, worth it. I I'm going to talk to you this morning about false teachers. Or I'm going to begin talking about false teachers. Uh, if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. Now Paul, in this passage, is writing to Timothy, of course, who is a very young uh, pastor. And he writes there and he says this, But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Now, I want to stop right there for a moment. First of all, I, 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 Paul was a prophet because what he just described, I see every day on my TV. Amen. I see every day on my, on my news channels, on my Internet. It, that is a description of our culture. And in many cases, they are easy to spot. Anybody that has those characteristics should just come out. But I want you to look at verse 5. Paul says this, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Folks, he's not talking about the world. He's talking about the church. He's talking about religious people. He's not talking about the people out there you see on TV and all. No, he's talking about people in the church. He's talking about religious people. See, he's quali that's a qualifier. Listen, what he's saying, people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, conceited, boastful, but they'll have an appearance of godliness. Brutal, treacherous, slanderous, but they'll have an appearance of godliness. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, but from the outside, 
they're going to have an appearance of godliness. And let me say, first of all, we shouldn't be surprised at this. Jesus himself told us this was how it's going to be. In Matthew 13, he tells a, a story. And he begins a story like this. He says this, The kingdom of heaven is like... So what he's about to tell you is how the kingdom of heaven is going to be. And he's talking about the kingdom of heaven here on earth, the, the church, right? And, and this is what he says. He said there's a man and he had a field and he planted some seed and he went to the trouble to make sure that the seed was good. In other words, he went through it and made sure there wasn't any weeds in it, made sure there wasn't anything defective or anything like that or defiled. And then he sowed this good seed in the field. And then at night when everybody was sleeping, an enemy came and sowed a weed called, the Bible calls them tares. Now here's the thing you have to understand about wheat and tares. When wheat and tares come up and they're very young, they look exactly alike. You can't tell them apart. It's not like the weed is, is obvious. They look very, they, they have the appearance of wheat. Where, where you can tell them apart, and this would be a completely another servant, is when they bear fruit because the wheat will, br will bring forth these beautiful uh, heads of grain. The tares don't bring forth any fruit at all. But when they're young like that, you can't tell them apart. So the man's uh, servants come to him and they said, they said, man, didn't you, didn't you plant good seed in the field? And, uh, and he said, yeah. And they said, well, something's gone wrong because there's weeds out there. And, uh, of course, the owner of the field immediately knew. He said, an enemy has done this. And his servant said, well, do you want us to go out there and, and tear up the, the weeds and stuff? And he said, no, no, no. He said, let them grow together until the harvest. And then the reapers will come. And they'll grab the tares, they'll bind them up, and they'll burn them. But the wheat I'll bring into my barn. You see, the fact what Jesus was telling us is in this age, in the church age that we are right now, believers and unbelievers are going to be together. There's going to be true believers and there's going to be false believers. There's going to be true teachers and there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be true preachers of the gospel and there's going to be false uh, preachers of the gospel. And by the way, they're going to look kind of alike. It's not going to be easy because the false one have the appearance of godliness. But Paul says... Avoid them. Okay. All right, Paul. Well, how do we do that? Because they look, they have the appearance of godliness. This morning, I'm going to give you three signs of a false teacher. Three signs of a false teacher. Sign number one, they will always use flattery. Romans 16, 17 through 18. Let's read that verse. It says this. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And here's what he says. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Let me tell you, the first thing he tells us about these false teachers is they are smooth talkers. Now, what does that mean? That means they are great communicators. By the way, this should be obvious because if you're not a good communicator, nobody really wants to listen to what you got to say, right? These guys are good, and men and women. They are really, really good communicators. I mean, they can get up in front of a crowd like this and everybody's paying attention. Everybody's hanging on every word. And one of the things they do really, really well is they tell stories. They can, they can spin a yarn like nobody's business. Now, let me preface my remarks by saying this. There is nothing wrong with stories. 
Jesus was a master storyteller. He used them all the time. I started out this sermon with a story. There's nothing wrong with that. The difference is these people rely on stories. They're not interested in expounding Scripture. They're, they're not interesting in, in showing you the Word of God. They're not interested in that. What they'll do is they'll take their Scripture and they'll read it, and then the rest of the sermon will be a story. It's all about the story. And here's what these stories are about. They're all about you. It's all about flattery. You can do this. You can overcome this. You can be this. See, it's all about you. Now, these stories, by the way, they're good. They're emotional. They're inspirational. They're motivational. They will draw you in because they make it all about you. And let me just say this at this point. It doesn't have to be necessarily a, a teacher standing in front of a classroom or a, or a pastor standing in a pulpit. You see a lot of this from singers, people that sing so-called Christian songs. I was listening to a song the other day, and uh, I was streaming a, a, a Christian station on Amazon while I was working, and a song came on, catchy song, good song, had a good, good, you know, I was listening to it, and when I got to the end of the song, I thought, was she talking about Jesus or her boyfriend? So I played it back, listened to it again. I couldn't tell. Folks, listen to it. If you're singing a song and it's all about you, it ain't worship. That ain't worship. You can call that whatever you want to, but that ain't worship. So be careful. These, these false teachers can exist not only in pulpits, not only on television, but they can exist in the songs that you listen to. And it's all about you. Number two, second sign of a false teacher. They prey on our sensuality. Second Peter 2, 1 through 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The word sensuality comes from the word senses. It has to do with our five senses, which, of course, is sight, uh, smell, taste, hearing, and touch, right? The idea of sensuality is you, you gratify your bodily appetites. Okay, this is what these people uh, play on. They speak to our flesh. They, they speak to these things that we want deep down inside. Let me give you an example. I did a little research the other day on Kenneth Copeland. Everybody know who, who Kenneth Copeland is, I'm sure. Kenneth Copeland lives in an 18,000-square-foot house. Now, that's a big house. He, he's got numerous airplanes. Uh, he's a pilot. He likes to fly. He's got numerous airplanes, including the most expensive private jet that money can buy. Oh, yeah, by the way, he built his own airport right beside his house, so he doesn't have to drive into the city. He just built his own airport. The man is a multi, multi, multi millionaire. And you know how he made his money? People just gave it to him. People just gave it to him. Sow a thousand dollar seed or sow a hundred dollar seed and, and people just give it to him. I asked myself one day, why would people do that? Why would people give him money? I mean, he's obviously a huckster, obviously, but they just keep giving it to him. Is it because he's swindling them? Is it because he's lying to them? Is it because he's cheating them? Well, that's part of it. 
It is. He's promising things he can't deliver. He's taking Scripture out of context and he's twisting. He thinks that godliness is, is a way to get a lot of gain. Yeah, he's got a lot of wrong to deal with. But folks, why are they buying what he's selling? Because they're just as greedy as he is. They want what he's got. That, see, he plays to the deepest desires of greed that's inside of him. These guys are good. Men and women, they're good. They know what drives human beings. And people just keep sending him money. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 says this, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They, just, they, just, they find teachers that tell them and speak to what's down deep inside of them. That is sensuality. The third sign of a false teacher. Number one, they always use flattery. Number two, they always speak to our deepest sensual desires. Number three, they deny Christ. I've used three scriptures so far, and they all say the same thing. 2 Timothy 3, 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Romans 16, 18, such people do not serve our Lord Christ. 2 Peter 2, 1, even denying the master who bought them. Now listen, folks, they're not going to step up in front of the TV or on a stage and they're not going to wear a t-shirt that says, I deny Christ. You get that? They can't do that. Remember, they have to have an appearance of godliness. So they have to use the name of Jesus. So they'll throw out Jesus this and Jesus that and they'll praise the Lords and hallelujahs and all the, all the terminology that used. But folks, listen to me. They're not going to preach the Jesus of the Bible. They're going to preach a Jesus of love and acceptance and, and tolerance or, or a Jesus that is all about health and wealth and prosperity. But they're not going to talk about sin. They're not going to talk about judgment. They're not going to talk about the wrath of God. They're not going to talk about holiness without which you and I will never see the Lord. See, they're not interested in teaching or preaching the whole gospel. And by the way, that makes it a different gospel. Paul says in Galatians 1.8, but even if I, he said, if I come back to you and I start preaching a different gospel than the one I delivered or an angel from heaven come to you and give you a dis different gospel, he said, let that person be accursed. Let that person be accursed. Now, here's the unpleasant part. I'm, I'm unwrapping the, the Q-tip right here, if you, if you will. I don't want you and I... See, sometimes I think we come in here and we sit down and somebody starts talking about this stuff and you think, well, they never get me. I'm, I'm way above that. I, I'm not. I, I, I don't... I don't they, can't, they can't draw me in with that flattery stuff. I'm too mature for that. I don't care if they speak to that sensuality. I died to all that. I would never deny Christ. I would never do that. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that we're not susceptible to it. Because we are. I want to give you an example in my own life. Um, several months ago, I was watching a documentary on the gospel. And uh, in this documentary, there was a man that was preaching. Now, let me just say right up front, this man is... In, in, and by the way, if I said his name, everybody would know who he is. He's, very, he's a famous preacher. And he's preaching this sermon on David and Goliath. And as he's preaching, he, now, like I said, he's good. He's real good. 
And he's in a church, and he's preaching this sermon on David and Goliath. And he asked this question to his audience. He said, do you have giants in your life? Well, everybody out there was like, yeah, yeah, brother. Yes, I got giants in my life. By the way, that's a pretty typical David and Goliath sermon. If you, if you listen to 100 David and Goliath sermons, 99 of them and probably half of the other one would be about giants in your life. And our giants are things like our debt or our unbelieving husband or our rebellious teenager or our cancer or what other issue that we've got going on in our life. And then he's... Pre- and by the way, I'm into it. I mean, he's got my attention. I am listening. I mean, I'm, I'm just... Man, he's really good. He's going on and... And then he asked this question or made this statement. He said this. He says, you need a Goliath in your life. Thank God for your Goliath. Because if you have a Goliath in your life, that makes you who? David. Now, folks... I love you enough to tell you the truth. That's inspirational. That's motivational. That's that's a good story. But you ain't David. I'm not David. Folks, this Bible ain't about me. This Bible's about Jesus. This book is about Jesus. It's not about me. John 5.39, Jesus said this to the Pharisees, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And by the way, he's talking about the Old Testament. He says, these are the very Scriptures that testify about me, that point to me. You see, the Old Testament is about Jesus. Let me give you a real quick primer on how to read the... I know some people, especially new Christians, struggle with the Old Testament. There's things out there, you know, atonements and sacrifices and priests and temples, and it it don't really relate to our culture. So I'm going to give you a really quick primer on how to read the Old Testament. You look at the Old Testament, God gave us the law, or God gave the law, and the people couldn't keep it. They broke every law He gave them. So He gave them sacrifices to atone for their sin. You know what the people did? They, they, They started buying and selling the sacrifices, and they turned the temple into a den of thieves. He gave them priests, but the priests themselves became corrupt. They were supposed to be the intermediaries between God and man, and they became corrupt. God gave them judges. And if you go read that book of Judges, it says the people just did what was right in their own sight. So God gave them a king. The the people picked out Saul because he was the tallest and the best looking, and they thought, wow, he'll be a good king. But the kings became selfish, and the kings didn't walk after God. So God sent prophets to speak truth to the king, and they killed the prophets. And they set up their own false prophets to tell them what they wanted to hear. See, the Old Testament, what the Old Testament is teaching us is we need a better law keeper. We need a better sacrifice. We need a better high priest. We need a better judge. We need a better king. We need a better... We need that. We need that. We need a better prophet. We need that. See, it's not that, not that, not that, not that, not that, that. When you read the Old Testament, it's all the knots because it's pointing you to Jesus. It's pointing you to the cross. It's pointing you to a better prophet, a better king, a better judge, a better sacrifice, a better law keeper. 
Colossians 2.17, talking about the Old Testament, says this, those things were just shadows. The reality is in Jesus Christ. Now, that day that I'm watching that on TV, man, that guy was a good communicator. He's a great communicator. He is a, he's an awesome speaker. But what I realized as I was listening to that sermon is he had turned the story of David and Goliath into a motivational talk. And he had made it all about me. And I fell for it. I was into it. Because he flattered me. You understand? Do you know we all want to be David? Right? We all want to be great. We all want to be giant killers. We want to be that person. And by the way, have you ever noticed this? And this is why these people are so good, because they know this is human nature. You ever notice you tell a story like David and Goliath, and we always put ourselves in the story as David? You never make yourself Goliath, do you? you never, you're never going to be Saul. Folks, do you know who you are in the story of David and Goliath? You're the Israelite cowering in the tent. That's who you are. You're the Israelite cowering in the tent. But see, we want to be the great. We want to be David. And these guys use that to pull us in. But the Bible's not about us. The Bible is about Jesus. I'm not David. I'm not David. Listen, David is a type of Christ. He is the shepherd king. He is a signpost pointing to the one who has to come. Now listen to me. Do we have giants in my... Let me say this. Do I have giants in my life? Yes. Let me name them for you. Sin. Death. Hell, the wrath of God. Those are my giants. These other things, they're just midgets compared to those things. And I can't do anything about sin and hell and death and the wrath of God. I need a hero and it ain't me. I need a David and it ain't me. You see, folks, only Jesus can and does and will defeat those giants in your life. Only He can do that. Now listen, I don't want to belittle our issues. Yes, we have problems. Yes, we have troubles. Yes, we have tribulations. Jesus told us that. But listen to what He says in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have troubles, but take heart. I, 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 I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Listen, you've got trouble. Let me tell you how you overcome your troubles. You run to that. You run to that. You cling to that. You abide in Him. You love Him. You trust Him. You have a relationship with Him. He'll take care of those things in your life. I want to close with this. There, again, I, I, I was telling Henry, I'm kind of walking a fine line here today. Because there is a place for stories. There is a place for motivation and inspiration. I want to inspire you today. But ask yourself this question the next time you hear a motivational, inspirational sermon. Is that, are you being motivated and inspired to look to myself? Or am I being motivated and inspired to look to Jesus. That's a big difference, folks. Am I being motivated, inspired? I can do this. You can do this. You can be that. Or are they motivating me to look to the author and the finisher of my faith? There's a great scripture 
that, that walks this line, by the way. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. The writer says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's verse 1. By the way, that's motiv- he's trying to motivate us. The idea here is a, a coliseum or an arena. In chapter 11, he's talked about these great people of the faith, Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Noah. And then he turns to to chapter 12 and he says, you are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. They're watching. Now go run. Give it everything you have. That's motivational. That's inspirational. But look at verse 2. Don't look at them. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. As you run, make sure your eyes are set on Jesus. Not on yourself, not even the heroes of the faith, but you keep your eyes on Jesus because he started your faith and he'll end your faith. That's Jesus. Listen, we should be motivated. We should be inspired. But always motivated, inspired to look to Jesus. I'm going to ask Priscilla and her team to come back right now. It's not often, um, I said this morning, that we get a chance immediately within the sermon to do what the preacher has preached on. As they come, I want to read a list to you. Several years ago, I've been teaching for a long time now. And uh, I ran across a list many years ago, and this list was eight things that preachers and teachers will not hear in heaven. All right, let me say it again. Eight things that a preacher or teacher won't hear in heaven. They won't hear things like this. I sure wish you to talk more about the rapture. I I wish you to talk more about making money. I wish you'd have spent more time in your sermons and settled some of those deep theology debates. I wish you to use more skits. I wish you'd address cooler while you were down there. How about this one? I wish you'd have talked more about politics. I wish you'd have told more jokes. I wish you'd have been funnier while you were preaching. Or I wish you'd have built a bigger building. You won't hear any of those things in heaven. But folks, God help me and God help us that nobody ever says to me, I wish you to talk more about Jesus. I wish you would have talked more about Jesus. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was the pastor of the London Tabernacle um, I think from like 1930s all the way up to the 1960s or 70s. He died in the 1980s. He was a great preacher um, over in England. And he, as he got up into his 80s, he got diagnosed with cancer. And he fought it for a long time. But it finally came to the point, I think he was about 83, where the doctor called him in and said, we just can't do anything else. That's it. It's, it's done. You got about three months. So he went home to get ready to meet the Lord. And somebody in that three months asked him this question. They said, uh, Dr. Jones, they said, what would you do different? And this is what he said. I'd have preached Jesus more. I'd have preached Jesus more. Listen, this morning, I want to motivate you. I want to inspire you if I can. But I got to tell you the truth. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's all about him. It's all about Him. He is our law keeper. He did it for us. He is our great sacrifice. He is our high priest. 
He is our judge. He is our Savior. He is our soon coming King. He is our prophet. He is our giant killer. If, if I can inspire you to do anything, run to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Don't let anybody with smooth words ever pull your focus away from the one that died for you. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I love you. And I thank you so much for your son. I thank you for this scripture that in every line points us to him. That I can do all things, but only through him. I can bring forth fruit as long as I abide in him. I'm protected and saved as long as I'm in him. God, help us in every aspect of our life to look to Jesus. Amen.